We've been fighting a long time, and we have all lost so very much, so many loved ones gone. But you are not alone. There are pockets of resistance all around the planet. We are at the brink. You have no idea how important you are. If you're listening to this, you are the resistance. Hey everybody, Steve with Sense coming at you once again with a little book review, this time from Down Under with Father Robert Nixon, author of, translator of Crown of the Virgin. Father, pleasure to have you on. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you. Steve, it's an honor for me to be talking to you. I appreciate appreciate it. Hopefully, uh, for everybody watching, uh, the uh, audio will stay on because, again, from the other side of the globe. So it's going to be a hopefully the Internet will hold up. So, Father, tell us a little bit about the, your order and uh, your, uh, your your monastery where you're at. Well, uh, my monastery is the monastery of, uh, of the Abbey of the Holy Spirit in New Norcia in Western Australia. And we're the only monastic town in Australia. So a little village built around this monastery. We're also the oldest religious community or continuous religious community here in Australia and the only mission established by the Spanish here. So we were started back in 1846 as a mission to the indigenous people by Spanish monks. Mm -hmm. and, um, and we've continued since that time. Obviously we're not a missionary anymore, but we continue as uh, the, the monastic life uh, according to the rule of Saint Benedict. So praying seven times a day from, from very early hours of the morning um, uh, until until the very end of the day and um, following a life of silence and solitude. But we also offer ministry to the public in the form of, of retreats, spiritual direction and, um, and so forth. So we're, we're still a, a living monastic community and People, when they're traveling through New Norcia, you know, driving through the uh, through the desert of Australia, um, and they come across this uh, this 19th century uh, Spanish-looking village, you know, it's it's quite an amazing thing here. So, uh, pretty unique um, situation. You know? Yeah, I had no idea. I'm just picturing a bunch of kangaroos running around, and then a monastery showing up. We, we, yeah, that's right. We, I mean, we get a lot of kangaroos around here for sure, but uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, is, so, do you guys so have a website? We're, uh, I guess we're probably nausea.wa.edu.au. Lot of dots. One of the most, one of the most remote uh, Benedictine monasteries in the world. Really? How many Indeed. people live in that town? Uh, it's about fifty people in the town. Five zero five fifty. That's right. That's wow. right. Yeah. How many? How many of uh, y'all there? Uh, how many? Uh, how many monks? Well, at the moment we've uh, we've got seven monks in the monastery, so we're a fairly small community. You know that that's that's typical today. Um, a lot of religious communities are struggling a little bit with with numbers. You know? mm -hmm. We're praying to uh, to to God. 
through Our Lady that um, more people will be inspired to monastic vocations there. Yeah, hopefully. They are. So if you're interested in the order, go check out the link. It will be in the show notes underneath with the, the website. Uh, contact, will they contact you or just the website in general? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Con, con, contact me or, or, or our abbot here. Um, yeah. So, Father, St. Aldefonsus originally wrote this book. Can you tell us a little bit about him? Sure. He was a, a great Spanish saint. He lived during the 7th century, and he began his life as a Benedictine monk and was uh, elected abbot of his monastery. Um, and from there, he, uh, he was chosen as Archbishop of Toledo, which at that time was the leading city in Spain, was a, a kind of royal and imperial city. It was a great honor, but he was very um, hesitant to accept it out of humility. Now, he was a, a tremendous champion of devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary. He popularized the doctrine of her perpetual virginity. And according to uh, a well-known story about him, when he was celebrating a, a mass in her honor, she appeared to him and she presented to him a special uh, miraculous chasuble and asked him henceforth always to wear that when celebrating in her honor. So a, a tremendous saint. And there's been a, a great devotion to him in, in Spain and the Spanish-speaking world for a long time, but less so in the English-speaking world. At our own monastery, we have a college called St. Ildefonsus, <laughs> which is um, one of the things which triggered my initial interest in his writings. Did he, did he uh, say why he particularly wrote this book? He wrote this book uh, as a kind of overflowing expression of his devotion and, and love for the Virgin Mary um, was a particular theme throughout all his writings. Um, this particular work, he was, he was trying to form a, a crown. He doesn't form a material crown. Um, obviously, as a poor religious, he couldn't do that. But instead, he, he forms a crown with words and images and offers it as a gift to the Blessed Virgin. What made you pick up this work to translate it? Well, one of the things was it's, it, it's a fascinating work in itself, and it's one of those Latin works which are important and interesting, but have never been translated into English. Mm -hmm. And um, I knew that these days, you know, not, not so many people read Latin, even amongst uh, monks and religious. So I thought, yeah, offering that to uh, an English-speaking uh, readership would be a tremendous thing. And, um, and I was thrilled when, uh, when Pan Books felt the same way about it. So, uh, so yes, I was very happy to, uh, to bring this to an English-speaking uh, audience. When uh, you were translating, what was your favorite chapter? I mean, there's, just to give the uh, audience a little idea what the chapters are, it was the precious topaz, the morning star, the radiant lily flower, precious chalcedony, the star Arcturus, the precious sapphire, things like this. It's really beautiful chapter names. Uh, what was your favorite out of all of them writing? You know, I think my, I think my favorite chapter was the chapter um, in which he offers her the moon as one of the ornaments of her crown. And of course, the moon is um, one, of the, uh, one of the symbols traditionally associated with the Virgin Mary mm -hmm. um, from the book of Revelations, of course, where she'll have the 12-star crown on her head and the moon at her feet. 
Um, also a reference to, to a passage from the Song of Songs, which is often um, understood as applying to the Virgin Mary, that she's more radiant than the moon. So that chapter was uh, one which particularly struck me. It's one towards the end of the book. So I think it's part of the uh, kind of climax for it. Would, would you like me to read a, a yeah, little bit of it? Yeah, please. The kind of, um, so he, he kind of slips between prose and verse. So I've, I've also done that when I'm translating it, you know, making a few of the passages into verse. Um, so here we go with the prayer from that chapter. Hail, O throne of majesty, lily of humility, fragrant rose of chastity, mirror of divinity. Hail, O temple filled with light, moon of beauty glowing bright, putting earthly fears to flight, shining through sin's darksome night. O refreshing crystal rain, which all sweetness does contain, making flourish grace-filled grain, bringing solace for our pain. Yeah, it, I was wondering when I was reading all this going, you know, like uh, Augustine's Confessions was basically meant to be sung. And you read Alphonsus on Glories of Mary. He basically says, if I haven't made you fall in love with Our Lady by the end of this, I haven't done my job. Was St. Alphonsus, did he have a, was there, a, it sounds like a poem's love letters that he was writing to Our Lady. Was there a Indeed. particular, like, that he wanted being sung? Uh, besides you know, growing in love. Yeah, yeah. I, I, for a lot of the passages, you know, he kind of, he, he slips into into rhyme and meter and verse, which was actually a thing that the writers liked to do a lot of the time in the ancient world. You know, they were very conscious about the rhythm and the sound of what they were writing. So, yeah, I think that that, that comes through sometimes when in his in his meditation and flow of thought, he kind of slips into song uh, a lot of the time. So, yeah, it's one of the wonderful features of the book. And, I, and I've tried to, to reproduce that in, in the English rendering of it. Yes, yes. Like, I'm, I wasn't sure when I first got it. I wasn't sure, like, what to expect. And then you get the apologetic books. You get the history of Our Lady books. This was more of a growing devotional type deal, not in the sense of why you should love her, but just reading it would make you feel the love that St. Aldefonsus had. Am I right? Yeah. Oh, well, I think you're absolutely right. And, you know, sometimes I think we overlook that so much of, of our religious truth, it's, it's an emotional thing. It's a, it's a thing which, uh, which we can convince the heart of more readily than we can convince the head, you know. And uh, I, I think someone is not going to start loving Jesus and the Blessed Virgin because you give them a lot of convincing philosophical arguments. Mm -hmm. They're going to start to love them uh, when that fire is lit within their hearts, you know, and, uh, and, some, and I think that can be done best often through, through uh, devotional literature, through imagery and, and art and, and music, more so than polemical um, theological writing, although, of course, that's got a very important place too. Right, right. You think of... Uh... Thomas Aquinas of Bonaventure and Thomas wrote all these nice tracks and he asked Bonaventure at the dinner table how, how do you how do you know so much he just points at the crucifix that was all he needed indeed I mean that's that's the ultimate isn't it and I think it's a bit like falling in love with you know with a with a human being you know um, people do it not because of rational reasons it's 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 a spark which is there it's it's something which uh, transcends our words and rational thought 
how did the uh, book, uh, I don't want to say change you, but bring you to a better devotion to Our Lady? Or did it? I mean, I, I, I know you already had one, but did it strengthen it, I guess? Yeah, I, I, absolutely it did. It did because, um, you know, normally when I'm, when I'm reading things, whether Latin or English, I just, you know, reading through um, a little bit passively. But in the process of translating, you really have to consider every single word and phrase and its, its significance, you know. And uh, in, in this book a lot, there can be a whole series of words which are, you think are more or less meaning the same thing. But when you need to transfer them from one language to another, then you, you, you come, you're led to contemplate them. Uh, uh, a practice which, which we monks call uh, Lexio Divina. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that's one of the advantages of reading, um, reading in Latin, because in a way it's no one's native language. So you, you, you need to stop and ponder the meaning and the distinctions of meaning between each word. So it's a kind of deep immersion. Uh, into the book, so in that respect, you know, it, uh, it, 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 it actually, I think it deepened my own devotion as I was doing it. You know, and I've got to say, in doing the translation, I, I rewrote a lot of the passages. You know, maybe half a dozen times, I was <laughs> weighing up individual words very carefully. Yeah. I was about to ask you, did you do some lexio during the translation? <laughs> oh, very much so, very much so. You know. Um, so yeah, I think I think that's one of the one of the blessings of monastic life is that we have time of the day set aside for for reading and study, you know, and um, and yeah, we we we're able to do that in a kind of unhurried way a lot of the time. Were Were you kind of sad when you got done with this? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, um, look, I, I I have to admit, probably like most authors and translations, I did actually feel a relief when I sent off my final manuscript uh, to 10 books and, and you know, I, I said, okay, I'm not going to change anything now um, because I could be changing things forever. So, so it was, yeah, it was actually a, 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 a nice, um, you know, uh, to, to say, okay, it's, it's finished. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> have you had any feedback uh, from anybody that's I, read I, I have, I've had. I uh, had I had a you know quite a, a lot of feedback from uh, from people who uh, who've, who've read it directly and also from people who I don't know you know um, reviews popping up in various places and um, you know, I have to say that um, that when I was translating I thought you know maybe this is a bit kind of uh, bit kind of obscure or maybe uh, uh, not the type of devotion which, um, which a lot of people will, will respond to you know but. Uh, but it, it seems it's kind of struck quite a few people um, in in the way I think which uh, which Saint Ildefonsus intended. So I'm I'm very um, very happy and very encouraged by the depths of devo devotion uh, around. Yeah, like I said, I was pleasantly surprised. I think we'd be good a prophet of the world to have more stuff like this out there. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, like you said, the apologetics is great. I love reading the stuff like that, but this is one that just. Yeah, you can meditate on, like you were talking about, and grow in devotion and love. Uh, thanks. Fantastic. I'm, I'm pleased that you responded that way, uh, Steve. Yeah. <laughs> he told me off camera to say that. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. What other works does St. Aldefonsus have that may have contributed to this work, or if any, 
Yeah. Well, um, his, his most important and well-known book is, is on the perpetual virginity of Mary. Mm -hmm. And basically in that one, he's, he's explaining, uh, defending it, but it's also um, a very devotional book as well. It contains a lot of prayers directly addressed to Our Lady. So um, I think that one um, contributed to that. He probably wrote that one beforehand. And in writing that book, he was, he was defending or, or promoting the teaching of um, St. Jerome, who of course was another Spaniard, so a countryman of his. So um, that was one of the things which, which spread the doctrine of the perpetual virginity in Western Europe, um, and particularly in Spain, um, because its two great greatest champions, uh, Jerome and Ildefonsus, were both Spanish. Um, but I, I'm sure his work there um, contributed to his, to his writing of this book. And I, I have the sense that he kind of write, that wrote this book in his, in his, um, you know, his kind of free time as an activity of, of personal prayer. Yeah, so um, yeah, that makes yeah, sense. I think that, yeah. Um, during that book for Perpetual Virginia, was there a reason why he wrote that? Was there something going on at that time? Um, you know, at that time in the church, uh, there were even though the Catholic faith was established, there were still quite a lot of heresies floating around um, in different parts. So, for example, there was the belief that Mary, although she bore Jesus within her womb, wasn't actually his mother, that he was like a kind of surrogate, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. uh, so that was one of the uh, dangerous and current heresies at the time. There was also the, um, the belief, uh, less popular, but still there, that Mary went on to have other children, you know. Um, and, I, you know, that's, a, that's a, a heresy which I think pops up quite a lot in the modern world. Yeah, you still hear More about so that. The yeah. other one. Yeah, so, um, so he, he was defending that. Um, and also he saw the importance of the doctrine of the perpetual virginity of Mary um, in, the, in the belief in the Incarnation. You know, because it means that Mary's role as the human mother of Christ is is a unique role, in the same way that the uh, role of God the Father is a unique role. So, so Jesus, um, as the only begotten Son of God, had to be also the only begotten Son of Mary. You know what I mean? Mm, yeah. Um, so it's part of his the uniqueness of the the miracle of creation uh, of of the incarnation. Well, I know you got other works on. I won't get into them till after they come out. I was asked not to ask for the title, so there's other works coming up. I follow oh, Nixon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, oh, yeah, yeah. So other other translations on their way. Thanks to Tan Books. So I, I'm really grateful for their uh, their uh, tremendous work in in the presentation and and helping me to make this available. I've seen the list. Um, there, it's a fantastic list. Uh, um, excited to see what you got coming out but uh yeah so if you guys Indeed. want to get an order of the book uh, underneath in the show notes click the link it'll go right to it say hell mary for father nixon for his uh, efforts on this project and uh father thank you thank you steve god bless you as well take care thank you